npr. i'm sam sanders. it's been a minute today, we are talking politics because the midterms are coming up because it's always a good time to talk politics but also because i am here in d c. for a few weeks. so why not? in this episode, i'm asking two very smart people one very big question what's it like to cover the white house in the age of donald trump? I asked that question and a lot of other ones to my two guests, Katie Rogers and Jeff Bennett. Katie is a White House correspondent for The New York Times. We worked together years ago at The Washington Post. You have heard her on this show before. And Jeff is a White House correspondent for NBC News. He's an old friend from our days together on the NPR politics team. So I'm going to be honest here and just say I love this conversation, not just because I think the two of them are really swell, But because they told me so much more than I thought they would, they talked about their work. They talked about their lives outside of work. They talked about how those two things never stop colliding. They also told me what it feels like for the White House press corps to be a character in the president's ongoing reality show. And they talked very openly about what they think the White House press corps is getting wrong. I went into this conversation thinking that I had a pretty good understanding of what it means to cover a White House. I did not. But I learned a lot in this chat, and I think you will too. All right, let's get to it. But just one more note. We taped this conversation last Wednesday, August 29th. And because President Trump, you will hear some news break during our chat. All right, here I am talking with Katie and Jeff in Washington, D.C. Katie Rogers, White House correspondent for the New York Times. Thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Uh-huh. Jeff Bennett, White House correspondent for NBC News. Thank you for being here. It's a privilege. Fun fact, I worked with you both before. Yeah. And uh, gosh, our paths diverged. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all living well, our all, best lives. I know. So That's right. Uh, it's That's amazing. Right. Yeah. So I was worried uh, for the last two weeks about this conversation because I said, well, they cover the White House. Yeah. If something happens, they got to go. And then I was like... Would I be able to do that thing where, you know, when you're at dinner and someone's like, all right, everyone, iPhones on the table, (laughs) face down, first person to pick it up, pays for dinner. I was like, what's the radio equivalent of that? Yeah. Well, for me, this is my day off. Oh, So I I would not have to leave, which is why this was a perfect day. Katie is... On full duty right now. So I'll, I'll let you be I mean, on your phone I, for a bit. I, I had to take a few calls in the lobby on the way on the way up. Um, you know, if my phone rings, I might have to put us all on speakerphone with, with somebody. With the source? I'm, yeah. I'm down for that. That's Break the life some of a White House reporter. Break some but news um, luckily, uh, just shout out to Michael Shear, my colleague who's babysitting right oh, now. Thanks, in, Michael. In my, yeah, in my absence. Appreciate so, you. Yeah. yeah. How long have you both been covering the White House now? I've only been covering it since January. What? Yeah. I thought it was Isn't longer. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I so know. less than a year. Yeah, less than a year. How long have you been doing So I've been covering the White House for a, a few years. So I covered the end Ooh. of the Obama administration for mm-hmm. New York One, which is a, a, a well-known station in New York, New York City. love New York One. Um, and then when I came to NPR, I was first a producer, but then a reporter, I covered uh, the White House for NPR for a few months and then for jumped- few, Literally. <laughs> literally months. for a few months. <laughs> and then jumped to NBC News and I've been at NBC for eight months. Okay. Wow. So then- my next question for you both is, you've been covering the Trump administration, Jeff, since the start, Katie, for a few months. In your time covering the Trump White House, what is the wackiest, craziest reporting story you guys can tell me without getting in trouble? The story that you tell your friends at bars when they ask how crazy oh. the job is. Oh. I, I mean, I had a story a couple of weeks ago that sort of illustrated to me how 
involved the president is in coverage about him, Hmm. which is not unusual. Presidents care about how the media covers them. But I was on the Europe. Did you go on the Europe trip? I did. So I was on the Europe trip and I got a heads up from a source at the White House who uh, uh, just had this email that showed that he got on the plane at some point during the Helsinki trip and freaked out because the first lady's TV was tuned to CNN and oh. he like threw a fit and now and got the military office involved like to make standard operating procedure Fox News on all the TVs going forward. Let me pause you real quick. You're saying Donald Trump was so mad that his wife was watching a network other than Fox that he changed the protocol? Yes. What I'm not clear on is whether she was, you know, sitting in her area watching it. Oh, her TV was, was tuned to it and huh. CNN was on and he flipped his lid. Wow. And, you know, I came in possession of like a string of emails saying well, like, oh. you broke that story. Yeah. Just standard operating procedure going forward in the hotel suites. And that was actually confirmation that they sleep in different rooms too. Huh. Um, like first lady suite. Yeah. President Sweet, you well, know? The, so in, that's, in I the, guess, the wildest. Story. In the press cabin on yeah. Air Force One, that's all you can watch is Fox News. Really? <laughs> unless yeah. unless the photographers change the, yeah. like, the photographers are in charge of the movies. So Why? I don't, it's like the photographers get really yeah. possessive and territorial. <laughs> They're nuts. Like, they'll pull pranks on each other. When we were in the Europe trip, they put, like, a big bottle of lotion on somebody, Ew. like, while he was sleeping in a van. They're, you have to be really <laughs> oh, careful. No. There's a lot of um, downtime. So they come up with creative ways to yeah. make it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah. you have to always, it's like you have to, it's like being at a slumber party when you're 11 years old. Somebody's <laughs> going to put your hand in warm water if you fall asleep. So. Except you're the fourth estate. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. that's, oh, sorry. What's no, your, you oh, tell me a crazy story. And it can be a, th- a story yeah. that's reported out or just like a behind the scenes. This is wacky. a behind the scenes story that isn't necessarily crazy, but at the time told me so much about who Donald Trump is. So it was mm-hmm. my first encounter with him because I didn't cover the campaign on the road. Mm-hmm. But when he came to Washington for Ted Cruz's Stop the Iran Deal rally. Oh, I was. It this was. was uh, this, this that was, was during the campaign or did that happen? It was during the campaign. I covered that. Yes. yes. So there were two. There were two. Uh, episodes there that I think were really kind of phenomenal. And because he wasn't the the nominee, so you could get relatively close to him. He had security, but you could go up to him and ask Mm -hmm. him questions, right? Mm -hmm. And so we all did. And so there was a big crush of reporters and and photographers, uh, and we were all asking questions. And he wanted to answer this one question uh, from a reporter from one of the cable news networks. But because of the way we were sort of organized around him all in a big circle... The reporter was separated from her photographer, and he sort of instinctively knew that because he, mm. he knew the, the network. So he gets the question, and before he answers it, he says, where's your camera? <laughs> and she points, she points in the direction <laughs> of the camera, and he turns his body and answers her question so that the sight line of the camera was just right, and he knew where the light was from the sun, yeah. and so that the wow. shot on television was perfect. Wow. And I saw that, and I thought, huh. So he gives a speech. And as he's leaving, he has to, because this is outside of the Capitol, and there was like this embankment that he had to walk over, and they put these fake stairs. As he was walking over these temporary stairs to get to the car, he stops at the top and turns around like, you know, Ava Peron from Avita and waves <laughs> to all of these people. Really? But nobody was waving at him. It was just for the cameras. And so I guess he wanted to have this, this vi- you know, vision of himself really? <laughs> waving to these adoring do we, fans. Do we so- want to talk about the reality of this job right now? The what? president just tweeted announcing that Don McGahn's leaving his job this fall in the Which, middle of this goodness. conversation, right. uh, confirming Ooh. an Axios scoop from this morning. Um, and now I'm panicking silently. <laughs> and uh, of course, we knew that Don McGahn was going to leave after the, this is uh, the White House counsel, the, the White House counsel who 
as reported, threatened to quit uh, when the president ordered him to fire Jeff Sessions. Uh, the Oy. White House counsel, who apparently, uh, you know, spoke at length with the special counsel. So, and we knew that he was eyeing yeah. the exits and would probably leave after the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee. Uh, but now the president, as Katie mentions, in real time, is confirming <laughs> I mean, <it's> just... <laughs> the Axios reporting. So, like, okay, this is one example of how different and out of the ordinary this administration is. Usually, when there's a departure, you hear buzz about it first, and it's confirmed, and then there's like an official statement. This was just a tweet. And this happens How a lot. Does that change stuff, a, well, a lot of times what happens is the president will say something, he'll tweet something, and so what happens is you have the White House staff trying to make the reality on the ground reflect Mirror what the, the president tweet. has said or tweeted mm-hmm. about. And then yeah. sometimes you'll catch Sarah Sanders out there doing the world's hardest job trying to keep up with the well, president. He has a tough job. And so for instance, with this issue, this McGahn uh forthcoming resignation, uh this morning Sarah said when we have an announcement, we'll let you know. Me- suggesting that, <laughs> that they were working through the process right. of coming up with an announcement. There was, I'm sure there was a plan yeah. to get in front of this. But yet the president, it appears, cut it all off. Well, with, with personnel stuff, he he keeps things really close to his chest a lot, too. He knows that stuff leaks. And with mm. departures or hires or appointments, you often have little visibility into it because he understands. Like To your point about knowing where the cameras are, I mean... The man is like the foremost meet like media scholar yeah. <laughs> of our generation of anybody's gen. I mean, and he this knows is the thing how no one wants works. to admit. He knows yeah. how the big reveal works. Mm-hmm. He knows that in like he's honed that skill over three, four decades. Yeah. Um. He knows how to kickstart a news cycle. He knows how to barrel forth when things are not looking good. Like yeah. the McCain flag thing feels like that happened in April. Yeah. yeah. You know, he. Well, Cohen um, and uh, Manafort feels right, like it right. happened in yeah. 2012. And yeah. um, he, I think we like just don't really. Uh, I you know, don't. You know, what the most interesting thing about covering this president is, is going to rallies. I've covered more rallies yeah. than I can remember. Yeah. And watching him work through a message. Mm-hmm. And the start, I remember him doing this with the NFL stuff, too, where he would uh, attack the players for the for the silent protests. And he would he would say a line. And if it didn't get the right kind of applause, he would he would yes. switch up Workshop the words, I would say and, he would, and he would say it again and let it land. And I see always how it said works. he was like a comic trying out new yeah. jokes before the comedy special. Yeah, like the comic that goes to the dingy comedy club on a Monday night and mm. just tries the lines out. And he yeah. fancies himself that he's not a politician, but he, he's president. At this of course, point, he's you a politician. Are. And like all good politicians, he knows exactly where his base is. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly what motivates them, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why he says what he does about immigration, about the NFL. He is, you know, he's trying to position himself as a as a nationalistic culture warrior. Yeah, and hasn't really moved beyond the skills, if you want to call them that, that made him successful as a candidate because his supporters haven't required anything other from him. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, just thinking about this news today with McGahn and talking about how a lot of times Trump staffers are trying to keep up with Trump, Mm -hmm. how does that affect sourcing? Like, is it harder to talk to someone and know what's what, knowing that things are change on a dime? Things are true until they aren't. And it took me a while to be able to figure out how to say that on television. And then I just how started do saying you say that. It? I just say it. Like, as of this moment, here's what we know. This could <gasps> wow. change. But, you know, things in this White House, things are true until they aren't true. How much is that? How different is that from the last administration? Oh, it's night and day. I mean, I remember during the Obama administration, you would get a sense of how the week was going to play out on a Sunday. They would like often the whole use, schedule. Yeah, well, not the whole schedule, but you'd get a good like roadmap. Yeah. They would use the Sunday shows to message, you know, what they wanted to talk about that week, where the agenda was headed. Mm-hmm. 
And it, I remember there were some White House staffers in the Obama administration who would apologize for last-minute changes to the schedule. Apologize. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, we're very sorry to have to do that. That's I, quaint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's just not the way. And granted, every White House takes on sort of the personality of the president. And so we know the president enjoys chaos. And so this White House, yeah. and the, just the way it operates, is chaotic. And that it becomes I'm a part sure of our work. I'm not sure they enjoy it, though. Do you, oh, yeah. The I staffers don't, don't oh, like it. Oh, for sure. It. I don't yeah. think they do either. I mean, I, I think that they have learned to live in it. Do they ever tell you off the record or indicate or show any emotion that would indicate that they aren't happy, are deflated, are tired, are weary? I think that they I don't I don't get get that feeling a lot. I get the feeling that they feel like they're in trench warfare hmm. and I feel like they really believe that the president has accomplished a lot on okay. behalf of the people who voted for him. Okay. You know, they can live with tax cuts. They like that. They like the uh, relocation of the embassy to Jerusalem. A lot of folks like the tariffs. Um, the economy's doing well. They, yeah, a lot of people do, but a lot of people are also going to be hurt by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, what he hasn't delivered is this wall that he l- largely, mm-hmm. you know, ran on and won on. Um, so I think that those staffers feel, as they reflect the president's grievance, that the press has not given him enough credit. And yeah. um, that's energizing for them, I think. Um, yeah. And you know what's different about that versus other administrations? Because every White House has staffers that feel beat down just by the nature yeah. of the grueling Yeah, it's a hard job. Yeah. What's different, though, in having talked to people who worked for George W. Bush and President, former President Obama, is that those two men, I think, engendered loyalty and inspired their mm. staff in a way that Donald Trump does not. Mm. So whereas I feel like a lot of the people in the current White House are driven to a certain degree like by, by the kind of grievance you talk about. And by some of the president's policies, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, at least in my conversations, get the sense that they are driven to do their best work on behalf of the man. Mm. And, you know, who it, it sits in the Oval Office mm. in the same way that people who worked for Presidents Bush and Obama did. Well, and yeah, this is like part of point. This is part of a strategy, though, right? Like he is someone from his reality TV days and like real estate days. He likes to have competing factions and interests yeah. working for him. And so, like, if you're doing that, you actually aren't trying to inspire loyalty. You're trying to inspire competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And that takes me to like another sourcing question. Like, when you get leaks from sources, are you saying to yourself, "Well, how is this faction of the White House trying to attack this other faction?" Like, do 100%. you question yeah. sourcing? Yeah. Always question of motives. That? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. do you work through that? And I think that with certain people, there are certain themes. So, like, you can hmm. sense mm-hmm. why they talk about what they want to talk about. Really? You know, and who they don't like or who doesn't like them. And um, give me an example without saying names. I just I can, <laughs> I can tell you that a lot of people, if you are thinking of somebody like John Kelly, like you know who to reach out to in the White House who will offer you a word in defense of him and also a word not so defensive huh. of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just you know who to go to. Yeah, there's there certain and figures that are need lightning to rods. Talk and, to, yeah. You can't just take it from one person. You've got to get like, multiple. Oh, this yeah. is, you know, it's just you have to do comparative yeah. you know, Right, which analysis. is why I love the stories y'all have when it's like, uh, in talking with 37,000 unnamed sources. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Journalism, when done well, is a team sport, right? And yeah. so the New York Times has a team. We at NBC have a team. We have yeah. five producers, five correspondents. Uh, and so, you know, as we're working on these stories, we bounce, you know, sourcing off of each other and leads off of each other. And that's how we get a good sense of what's actually happening. Yeah, you're right. And then some people talk, you know, favor 
reporters over others have longer relationships and sometimes a shorter relationship is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as I, I have no other option. Yeah. So, and that's um, why it drives me crazy when the president suggests that we just take anonymous sources and, and basically, you know, report things that are fiction, as he puts it. Because yeah, that this it morning. takes yeah. so Yeah, that's right. He tweeted it this morning. It takes so much time to get it right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is that is at the core yeah. of what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, don't be mad at y'all. Be mad at the folks in your White House that are leaking stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't be mad. Don't be mad at don't them. Don't be mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> I like but my like, job. he he's the master at being an anonymous source. He would yeah. call New York tabloids. He would make With up a different an identity. Name. John Barron loved anonymous sourcing. <laughs> I mean, he helped. You know, he created a, a media climate and helped. You know, engender oh, yeah. a lot of this. I don't know hatred toward. Sor- anonymous sources when he was a master was an at it. again foremost you know, media scholar yeah. you know what's scary though that mm-hmm. his that fake news stuff that he does on the trail uh-huh. that line lands every time sure with every kind of crowd I'm talking yeah. like members of the military mm. yeah. blue collar workers in West Virginia mm. establishment Republicans mm. in in yeah. uh, in Florida right. and in Ohio it doesn't matter where it is at this point when he goes like fake news media look at them all back there yeah. and he points at us mm-hmm. you know in the, is in he the still press doing pen. the press pen yeah because yeah. that in was the in the press room. campaigns uh, yeah. so weird that line works every so, time for him and it's it's sad, but it's also a little scary. It's like being at prof- I think I keep thinking of professional wrestling, That's which exactly right. the president which also he has used a background to do. in. And because he it, needs a heel, and the press yeah. is easier in some ways than the Democrats yeah. are. And so much of it is so performative, and it's like theater. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back, how Jeff and Katie handled doing their job as White House reporters when the president makes them part of the story. Brb. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features. Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Hey, Tamara. Hey, Domenico. All week long, Brett Kavanaugh will face his Senate confirmation hearings. Yeah, he's President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, and there are going to be a lot of questions about how he could transform the Supreme Court for a generation. The NPR Politics Podcast will be following those hearings, and we'll hop in the studio every day to break down what you need to know. So you are obviously the heel for the president Mm -hmm. and you are now part of his narrative and part of his storyline. Right. How does that affect you in your work knowing that you are a character in this plot arc as well? I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's weird to even talk about it right now. It's just instinctive. Like you don't want to talk about it as if you are a character. Um, But when he does things like call out individual reporters or institutions, you have no choice. He's the president. And, he's dragged you into it and you know I think a lot of reporters and like I haven't always been perfect about it too like we will tweet things that will say well look at this you know the flags are up at the White House but they're down at the monument wow this is jarring and you know that's people in the White House watch that and they take that as editorializing and you know I, I I do think to be perfectly honest and transparent like reporters are humans too and like Mm. sometimes they cross the line in the White House pays really close attention to that and and they ha- yeah. it builds their argument that 
we are willing yeah. to be characters. And yeah, do you think you've crossed um, the line before? Do I think I have on Twitter? Maybe. Uh, I think there was one time I I I did, um, and it was something about uh, reproductive rights. I think, mm. just to be honest. Yeah. Um, what I happened? Think, I think I just retweeted something, and I was just I was like, I'm. I think what I did was I said something about. I'm from a rural area. Mm. My high school had a daycare. We had abstinence-only wow. education. Uh, I worry about the women and children in those communities uh, having access to education and services. Um, and you got some blowback. Yeah, it's just kind of like it. It people watch you so closely. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's hard to do what we do in this era where the president has made the pursuit of truth a partisan enterprise. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And yeah. so. You know, I think now more than ever, it's really incumbent upon reporters, as Katie's saying, to not let yourself be, become a part of the story when there don't is. Don't let yourself be baited. Like, just, don't let yourself and they, be baited. And that's something he understands, too, is the art of the bait and the advisors who help him write his tweets or get, like, mm-hmm. they all understand that. And yeah. it's really easy for them to get, I mean, there are a lot of reporters in Washington covering the White House and not mm-hmm. everybody is perfect all day long. And you know what I try not to do anymore on air? I try not to, and this really, really only affects broadcast. I don't read the tweets anymore. I try not to oh. read the full tweets. The I don't read the stuff tweets? that isn't part pertinent, the Trump tweets. Oh. Because in the beginning, you know, in cable news, it's oh, another tweet from the president. Let me read all four four of them. Yeah. Um, and so now Often like, they're filled with untruths. The stuff that's not edifying or true, I don't try, I don't try to give mm. voice to. I only mm. try to stick to the pertinent stuff. And that is my way of trying to stick to what yeah. is real yeah. and what is true yeah. and to not get baited into whatever Yeah, I mean, when he talks about the press, it's such a, like, it's like, okay, you know, back to work, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking about, like, not being baited as members of the press because they want to bait, I think so long and hard about one particular White House correspondent at CNN Jim Acosta, yeah. who was taking up this enemy of the press back and forth as Heel. like his cause. You know, I, in my heart of journalistic hearts, think that's not the right way to handle it. Hmm. Are there conversations about the right way to handle the enemy of the press stuff and how much you should be in that storyline amongst the White House press corps? You know, every every administration seems to have that reporter who is sort of hmm. known as being the thorn in its side, right? So Sam Donaldson was the guy in the 80s who would shout questions. Really? And then I guess my, it might have been Ed Henry at Fox News who did that for the Ob- did, that, did that to the Obama Is it always the TV guys? More often than not, okay. yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't tra- that <laughs> kind of that kind of interaction like, doesn't translate yeah. in print. The print when Peter like, Baker has got I think Peter's gotten yelled at or the Times yeah. has been yelled at and Peter's just like Thank you, and just answers. <laughs> you know, like um, the print people are a little bit more like, all right, you know, because we're yeah. yeah. So it's it's a it's a personal decision on behalf of that reporter, that correspondent, and on behalf of that uh, that news organization of uh, you know as to how to handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that there was you know when we're in the briefing room though, I do think it's important when we're trying to get an answer on something that is meaningful. Um, and the White House has learned to just stonewall and mm-hmm. play us against each other. Right. I mean, they knew. I White House aides have told me like we're a team as opposed to you guys. You know, really? Yeah, totally. And that's why and, if you, I'm sorry, go ahead. And and I just mean when um, Jordan Fabian, he works at the Hill, kind of gave Hallie Jackson the floor. Oh when yeah. Sarah tried to move on. I forget what the question was, but Jordan, he didn't do any grandstanding. Like mm-hmm. I'm seeding my question. All he did was say, Hallie, go ahead if you want. You know. Yeah. And it's like those are very small gestures that yeah. make us look less petty, and yeah. it wouldn't be nice to see that kind of. 
yeah. unity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like low key, just move it along. Unity. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of unity. unity. Are there unified answers to these kind of questions within your newsrooms? Are there disagreements no. and arguments? Sorry. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> what do you go? You you talk. <laughs> no, uh, uh, unified qu- answers to questions about like how to how to deal with the president, that kind of thing. Or in the, and uh, each uh, other. Uh, like in these big questions about how the White House press corps and White House correspondents deal with this press environment, is there a unified front or stance or point of view on that? inside your newsroom sort of in the sense that like we at NBC have all more or less agreed that the story is primary right we try not to make ourselves the center of the story and that goes Mm -hmm. both in how we report it and how we conduct ourselves in the briefing room how we conduct ourselves in interactions both on and off camera with White House officials yeah but there are no sort of like uh marching orders that we've received from on high about, <laughs> about yeah. how to deal with this yeah. administration, you know, day in and day out. It's a very diplomatic answer. Yeah. Well, no, it's true. I mean, but what's interesting, though, is that if people watch the briefing, you can see how Sarah uh, will strategize, you know, how she's going to give her answers, who she calls yeah. on. She's if, smart. How they delay the briefing. So say, for instance, the oh. briefing is supposed to start at 2 o'clock. Yeah. And the president has an event on his schedule that starts at 3. Mm-hmm. And Gotta she doesn't walk moving. out until 2.30 or 2.45. Yeah. So you get so many minutes. You have 15 minutes. And so she will she oh. often will call on the front row because it's the wire services, it's the, the TV correspondents who need that interaction for their nightly news piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she wants to change the subject, she'll call on a business reporter in the back of the room. She'll call on a uh, international reporter oh. because she knows they don't care about Michael Cohen or Stormy yeah. Daniels. Mm-hmm. They want to know about trade or you know whatever the whatever She's topic. Um, yeah, and so that's and that's how sometimes she will hit the release valve. Yeah, if yeah, there's yeah. tension in the room, she'll call on someone she knows doesn't huh. isn't asking about yeah. the same question. Yeah. yeah, Katie, these these arguments about you know what the stance of White House correspondents should be. You say there's no unified front in your newsroom either. I mean, there's just I mean. I guess I shouldn't have answered so quickly. There's just discussion over how to handle it. I think that there are White House correspondents who've been covering um, administrations on our teams since, like, Clinton, I think, goes Mm. that far back. And, you know, applying sort of historical context to how to interact is important. But there's also an acknowledgement that this is a different president and a different White House, and they've... They eat the chess pieces, you know. They don't play chess; they eat the they eat the <laughs> yeah, board, you know. Great. And wow. it's great. and it's hard to deal, you know. It's hard to strategize for that. And I think, um, you know, when people see somebody yelling at Sarah, I think all of us are just like, Ugh. God, you know, like this is not helpful. It's not, you know. But then there's also an acknowledgement that, like, maybe if she, if she's doing the strategic thing, like you're talking about. You know, how how do we deal with that? Or when they try to hold like off the records with 50 reporters, like, Mm -hmm. why are we agreeing to this? Do we take ourselves out of this or do we go? You know, Um, so those are not easy things to address or answer. How do you address them internally? Like, do you have conflict inside of yourself? Um, I always I feel like the tenets of good journalism are solid no matter what, like no matter who is occupying the White House. And Mm -hmm. so I just try to stick to that. Yeah. Even if you have a president who eats all the chess pieces, oh, right? Yeah. Like if you, but if, if you've been taught the rules of chess, you have to play it differently. But then if you get sucked in, I feel like if you get sucked in and you start to compromise what you know to be good journalism yeah. to deal with the current environment, then that's how you, mm. yeah, get yeah. tripped up. 
So you guys hear all of the critique of the White House press corps coming from the left and the right and the middle and the up and the down. What is the one critique of White House coverage that rings truest to you? And mm-hmm. how do you try to address that critique in your work? I always say journalism and education are the two professions where people who've never worked in them think they know how to do the job better than <laughs> oh people Oh, my gosh, do, yeah. Right? Like, you yeah. know, I've never been a teacher, but I'm sure I've been like, if I was a teacher, I would tell yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think sometimes we we cast about on stories that don't necessarily matter mm. in a true sense, yeah. but that matter in the moment because they're interesting and entertaining and they might drive ratings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Give me an example of one of those stories. Like the tweet du jour. And when yeah. we, sometimes we dissect a tweet and we you know, don't still cover the fact that there are some 500 plus children who are still separated from oh, their yeah. parents. You know what I mean? Who are still being detained by the government. Mm. Because yeah. that story we know already. And, How do and, you? Yeah. How do you combat that impetus in your newsroom? Or can you? <laughs> You're part of a newsroom. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. Yeah. Sometimes you can't. And sometimes you might find a hook and be able to bring that story back into your reporting. Yeah, and and make it resonant and salient again. Yeah, Katie, uh, criticism of White House coverage that rings true for you? Mm. That he plays us, that he baits us, and we really? fall into it. Yeah, really. Oh yeah, I mean I agree. Um, uh. But I don't know that what the answer to that is. Like I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think I briefly thought about it with the flag stuff the other day with McCain, where it's just mm. like. Other presidents have been criticized before for their timeline of their condolence timeline. Like Mm -hmm. Obama was criticized for not um, issuing a proclamation after a mass shooting in Chattanooga. And he did it after there was sort of an outcry from veterans. And, um, you know, we we tend to, like, jump on this White House, um, you know, when we see things rising on social media, like viral Mm -hmm. photos of the flag up. And it's like. You have to be really careful to write the story in a way that's not editorializing and siding with everyone else saying this is, you know, yeah. deeply inappropriate. Yeah. And, um, but then you report and you know that his aides tried to, like, be appropriate. And he was like, no. So, I mean, it's like it's hard to it's hard to um, yeah. it's really hard to address that criticism because uh, I don't know, yeah. like some of it's just like, yeah, he doesn't want to acknowledge John McCain. Yeah. He, he clearly mm-hmm. doesn't like the guy and th- yeah. that feeling was mutual. Yeah. So um, it's I guess it's hard to I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to know in the moment because the, yeah. with the flag thing. I mean, that was the most visual evidence of his contempt of the president's contempt for John yeah. McCain. Yeah. Um, and then after the fact, it's like, well, are we giving this too much too much oxygen and not really focusing more on the life and legacy of the senator. Yeah, <laughs> of the senator. Right. Um, legacy. But in the moment, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to know. You know. How do you deal with it internally? Like, do you have big questions you ask yourself about if you're doing this right or wrong? Um, no. I mean, I think that I don't know. I'm still new to the the White House beat. Mm-hmm. I didn't cover another administration, but mm-hmm. sometimes you're dealing with with people, and I guess that goes back to the point about like who tells you what and why, mm-hmm. um, where you're just like. Uh, you know, like you have to, you have to build relationships with people who are just, you know, they lie ninety eight percent of the mm. time, and you know, it's yeah. it's like that's, that that has been, and it always has been, but that for me has been the toughest part of it's covering this White House. Yeah, it's building to, relationships with people who 
with that isn't I like I don't liars. have any transactional relationships in my personal life. Yeah. But yeah. in my professional life with sources That's what's hard. It's almost entirely transactional. Yeah. And do they lie to you? Do you know they lie to you oh, sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. But uh-huh. I and but the thing is like I'm not a fake person. So it's hard yeah. <laughs> it's hard to let people into your life regardless of whether it's professional or personal. Yeah. yeah. Who exists you know, on that on that plane. Yeah. You know? And when you're giving them, you know, you, sometimes your relationship is based on sharing information about yourself with people or mm-hmm. just being like, well, I have veterans in my family, yeah. too, or I'm from, you know, X, Y, Z kind of community, yeah. too. Like, I am a human being and I understand this. So can you please trust tell me, me like, tr- not, it, yeah, trust me, but also, like, you can tell me your perspective and I'm going to understand it. Yeah. Um, and, like, giving that, any of that up about yourself to people who um, can weaponize information and... Mm. Uh, it's it's kind of uncomfortable, and like, I think that those are the internal things that I deal with in terms of like the the people you meet on this playing field. Yeah. And what are your hours like? Do you just work incessantly like the rest of us? Um, I mean, yeah, we work a lot. I mean, there yesterday was, I guess, slow in the sense that I got to pay attention to the bee swarm in Times Square for like twenty <laughs> minutes and like have fun on Twitter for twenty minutes and. Yeah. That that happens like once every few months, <laughs> yeah. Um, where I get to have fun yeah. on during yeah. the day or laugh at something. <laughs> All right, time for a break. We're back in a second with Jeff Bennett from NBC News and Katie Rogers from the New York Times, talking about what it's like to cover the White House right now. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but ZipRecruiter can make it simple, smart, and fast. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 job boards with one click. Then it scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com minute. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you just woke up. And you want to find out about the latest news? That is when you turn to Up First, the 10 minute news podcast from NPR News. Here, Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Jeff, you were asking Katie uh, what her hours are. Yeah. I want you to talk more about that, Katie, but also. I must sidebar first. I'm sorry. So at NPR West, we have TV screens throughout the building uh-huh. on the news networks all day. And me and Melissa Kuypers, my cubicle <laughs> mate, who you know well. I love Melissa. We see you. It's it's like playing a game of Where's Jeff every day. And there's some days where I'll be like, they need some more mat on his forehead. Oh, there was yeah, one well. day you were out in the sun way too long and you were getting shiny. <laughs> and I wanted to text you and be it like, is, Jeff. But I was like, he's on problem. TV. As a... As a, as a Bald-headed, brothers in bald-headed yeah, them. it's hard. Yes, yeah. That's why I'm in radio. Real. <laughs> Anyways, all that to say. The shiny struggle is real when you're bald. <laughs> I see you on TV all the time, so I yeah. assume you're working all the time. What is the average yeah. day for Jeff Bennett? So I get to the White House around 8 o'clock and then leave after nightly news around 7 o'clock. Yeah. Because as a... As a network correspondent, we are basically sequestered at the White House. Yeah. So you're saying TV has to be there. We have yeah. to babysit the camera because you never yeah. know when news is going to uh, bring. Right. And say, for instance, something crazy happens on Pennsylvania Avenue and the White House is shut down. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can't go out and get a cup of coffee because then you might not be able to get back in. Yeah. I will say, yeah. though, that for my other colleagues who do the Today Show and Nightly News more regularly, they are there at 530 in the morning, 6, six o'clock in the morning, to do their 7 o'clock Today Show hit. And then they're there all day for the briefing and to do MSNBC. And then at a certain point, around 3 or 4 o'clock, 
that's when they start to work on their nightly news script. Uh. Nightly news hits at 6.30, uh-huh. um, and then they stay through the end of nightly news at 7 o'clock. You go home, you see your family, get some dinner, and then you're writing your Today Show script for the next day from roughly 9 to 10 o'clock. You track your piece for the Today Show, or I guess around 10, 10.30, and then you're back at the White House the wow. next day at 5 a.m., 5 or 6 a.m. So you you live the news. I mean, that is yeah. your life. And frankly, it's not just your life. It's your entire family's life, right, mm-hmm. if you if you happen to have one. How does your um, family deal with it? What do you, I, mean, I have like, a wife have... who used to work in the business, so she okay. understands. We never had to have a conversation about the kind of sacrifice this takes yeah. because she knows it, and thank God she does. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh, we have a, a, a young son. Uh, who was starting to realize that? Don't I'm not underplay a... it. The cutest kid in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even begin to describe how oh, cute this kid well, thank is. Thank you. How old is he now? Six. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So he he's starting to realize that I'm not around on the weekends and stuff. Mm. Um. But y- you know, it's it's a sacrifice, but it's the greatest job in the world. You Do know? you miss big things, like first day of school or something? So we time shift damn, a lot of stuff. Damn, you're getting. So we we time shift the holidays. Yeah, if therapy you know, couch. If we have to work on Thanksgiving, and this is true for anywhere. This happened when I worked at NPR too. Yeah. If you have to work on Thanksgiving, you celebrate Thanksgiving the next Thursday or yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So this latest go round, I had to work on his first day of school. So I took him, ended up taking him to school on his second day of school, okay. and I pretended as if his second day of school was actually his first day of school. <laughs> Where the teacher's so like, we, "What is this?" Yeah. Dad doing? So we took all the pictures, you know, Aww. made a big deal of walking up to the front door, and you know, he was kids. As long as they're loved, they don't care. You know, it's it's Aww. it's good to go. Yeah. What about wow. you, Katie? I don't have a six-year-old or a child. Is that? <laughs> I just have a husband. Yeah. So, who I saw like. this morning while running. I know. Small he told me. town. Anyways, yeah. what are your hours like? Um, I mean, I just, I don't even think of, our, I mean, I guess today, for instance, we were emailing as early as uh, like 6.45, you know, just talking to sources, talking to each other about like what we think we want to do, like what we think is going on. Yeah. Um, and then you just work through the day. You um, the other night when I had um, I did a McCain story and the other story on NAFTA. I think I was there through like 9 p.m. Um, the lights shut off while I was there, and I was like waving my arms around <laughs> trying to get the lights I'm back still on. Here. Yeah. Um, so uh, and then like tomorrow, for instance, I fly to Evansville, then Charlotte the next day, and then fly back on Friday night to cover the funeral at the cathedral for John McCain on Saturday. So it's like that is all work. Yeah. And, and and you take downtime when you can get it. Right. You really can't. Like if it's a slower day, you know. Yeah. Yesterday, I think was it felt slower, okay. and sometimes that feels torturous because yeah. you're like, "What? There's nothing happening." Right. And like, so I, it's like you learn to your metabolism completely changes for yeah. stuff. And I'm yeah. sure you're the same way. Like I've always wanted to cover the biggest story in the world, and right now this is the biggest story in the world. I right? have not and always. So, oh. <laughs> 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 I mean, I. I was when I was la- I was last year. I think I I came here like my first week on the job, which was crazy. Oh, yeah, I was like shell shocked. Sh- I was like, uh, they they. Your sprung- first time on the show was the week you got the correspondent shot. No, yeah. it wasn't my first time because last year when I was a feature writer, oh, I was yes. on a bunch, yes, and that yes. was like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like writing Washington in the Trump era feature, right, right, you yeah. know, covering like writing about like Saudi princes and you yeah. know all this fun. A night in the Trump hotel. Yeah, night in the Trump. Yeah, like <laughs> was, was uh, it nice? the Trump hotel at night was <laughs> yeah. like a big a yeah, feature. I remember I did. that story. Um, so I mean, I'd I've always gravitated toward features and profiles, and it's just not something I ever thought I would do. And they asked me to do it. Um, 
after Glenn Thrush was taken off the beat, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, a few weeks later, they asked me completely, I thought, out of the blue. Uh. They actually, Elizabeth U. Miller, our bureau chief, I had bron- bronchitis and I was like trying to recover. <laughs> I was really sick. And she calls me into her office and she's like, you're a good reporter, so you know what this is about. And, and I was like, like I no. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> which, which is a great way to start off the conversation. Yeah. You're a great reporter. <laughs> you, have, you know what this is. I'm like, nah, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's like, how do you feel about covering the White House? And I think I said something like, you couldn't think of anybody else? Like, wow. So there was hesitation? I mean, no. I was. Sh- I mean, <laughs> you have to take this job. It's, yeah. it's yeah. the greatest show on earth. But yeah. I was just like, oh man, like you, I, you had it, the learning curve for it has been quite steep. But um, again, if you just apply what you know to the, yeah. it's just like yeah. any other yeah. beat. Yeah. Just like on steroids in the middle of a, you know, gladiator arena. <laughs> Do you miss um, covering politics? Sometimes. Because like you say, it is, it is the biggest story in the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's some weeks where I'll be over in left field covering some nice fun movie or artist or feature or album and i'll say no one is looking over here yeah Mm. you know but i feel like the counter programming matters now more than ever when you have a president that has inserted himself into everything i do try to find ways to have a break from free zone sometimes yeah Yeah. Yeah. i remember reading amy chozik's vogue profile of stormy daniels yesterday okay and i read it and i was like oh this is such a nice break from everything i'm like wait (laughs) this is a stormy daniels profile i was like this even the stuff that feels like it's like take a breather right. those those photos were epic oh yeah epic i i, I love that piece of writing that was amazing yeah. um yeah. but i in my head i was like oh it's vacation mm-hmm. day like a vacation hour yeah. read this yeah. but no i'm actually it's, it's, yeah. um did you want this did i want what this job the white house i did and frankly it was a job that i thought i would never be able to get why not and it didn't become because i just thought i, th- I just thought it was never going to come my way uh, and it yeah. wasn't it wasn't until I was at NPR and uh, Beth Donovan hired me to cover the Hill, but then had me in mind later to cover the White House that Beth I Donovan, started. She's the editor of the Washington Desk here that's at NPR. That's right. Did I realize. My fairy godmother. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah. She's brilliant and amazing. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized, oh, I a job like this, I can get it. I can have a job like this, too. Uh, like this success isn't just for other people. It's mm-hmm. also for me. Mm. Yeah. And then I started to dream a bigger dream for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And you did it. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, I've been lucky to have people. Ugh, he's tweeting again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going I mean, deep, too. We were getting real I was emotional. Going deep. I was saying a lot of Oprah really places. And then this. So, we just had a beautiful emotional moment. I know. That was great. Um, but I, I mean, I, t- dreaming bigger dreams for yourself is sort of like, I don't know. I remember when I first started at the Times, I was like on the overnight shift and the person who hired me was like, if you work really hard and you're a good person, mm. you can do whatever you want here. And I've been really I lucky. Remember you that, telling me that? Yeah, and I just remember, uh, you know, I remember like deciding to believe that because there are a lot of times like it's easy not to believe that yeah. about a place you work. And um, I don't know. I've been lucky that people have come and like expanded my 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 uh, ambitions for me. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I mean, I I couldn't have imagined that I would be doing this. And sometimes it's easy to. Be like, oh, you know, I tweeted it again, but it's like this yeah. is you're covering the biggest story of big... our time. Yeah. yeah, both of you are White House correspondents who are not from central casting. Hmm. Mm. You are black. <laughs> you, you are, are a woman. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that I am. You are a woman. I am. I'm white. Can you say that? <laughs> you're a woman. I'm white. Yeah. But you're a woman, and like yeah. both of you are bringing a certain level of 
difference to your yeah. job than what you might typically think as a White House correspondent. Mm-hmm. How has your race or your gender affected how you approach this job? Have there been moments where you say, I'm doing this differently because of who I am, different than, than that guy or that person? E- I don't want to say yes or no because it's, it's more nuanced. Than yes, that. totally. A um, couple of things. Uh, every time I step to the camera in front of the White House for NBC, I always think about the people who had that job before me mm. and the people who never had an opportunity to have it. Yeah. Mm. And that informs everything I say while I'm standing in that position. I mean, yeah. because of not just the legacy of, of NBC, but also because, again, like all the amazing people who've had that job. So I'm very cognizant of that. That's before, why you're so diplomatic. Before I took this job, I spoke to all of the African-American White House correspondents that I could think of hmm. and asked them. How many were there? I could count them on one hand. Oh, my God. That's depressing. Um, yeah. But I'm talking about people who covered the White House for networks. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I just asked them for their advice. And the, and the one thing I took away from that was to not pull any punches mm. when it comes to talking about how this president and this administration deals with issues of race. And so mm. I'm very direct in my reporting and my analysis. But mm. the one thing I'm very clear not to do is to not give him a pass when he says things. And I know exactly what he's trying to what do. Do you to use convey. the R word? No, I've never I would never I would never use that word. What do you say instead? I'll say when the president says that uh, immigration is causing Europe to lose its culture, that he's taking a page out of the playbook of white nationalism. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is true. When the president is casting all these aspersions upon you know NFL players, he's doing that because he knows it resonates with his base, and it's a dog whistle. You know that is yeah. true. Does that wear you down? I find when I have episodes of the show where it's like race heavy, and I have to like lead this conversation on race. Yeah. Afterwards, I'm tired. I'm emotionally spent. It is, well, and you yeah. having to cover a White House that is doing something racially charged, it seems, every few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Does that wear you down? I mean, you have to have a little bit of distance from it, I think, yeah. in order to not be worn down. The other thing I think is is also sort of exhausting is trying not to make racism a problem for black people. Like, black people did not invent racism. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So whenever there's a racial issue, what happens is you see, like, all these black and brown faces get booked on TV oh, to talk yeah. about it. And it's like, we didn't do this. Right. It's like, it's not our burden. It's not yeah. our thing to explain, to explain away, and to get rid of. Yeah. Uh, so there's a like, lot of that. Here's what it's needs like, to happen. Or here, it's just, yeah. It's a lot of yeah, disabusing yeah. people of notions that they have that they don't know that they have. Yeah. Mm. And that's just not with this White House. That's... <laughs> In general. They don't help with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you are covering a White House, Katie, uh, in which the president has said things to and about women. Yeah. Who has uh, paid off women for alleged affairs. Yeah. Who has been sharply critical of things like the Me Too movement. Yeah. Um, I, how do you deal with that? I just, just like racism, sexism didn't start with the Trump administration. So you grow up, um, you grow up dealing with it and you internalize some of it and you, to a degree, like when the Me Too stuff happened, it's like, wow, I didn't even, some of the stuff that has happened to me in my career or personal life didn't even register Mm. until this entire national discussion happened. Mm. And so I think, uh, you know, I guess when things like that happen, I have, you know, latent rage on behalf of my sex and and my gender Mm. but you know it goes back your point was excellent about just 
Write it like you see it. Hold a mirror up to this administration. Don't editorialize. Hold a mirror up. That's all you need to do. That's my like mantra when this stuff happens. Um, And then I guess the other thing I would say besides being a woman is um, like I come from his I come from my family is a Republican family. My family is a working class family. Um, I grew up in a rural area in Indiana. He rallied in my hometown. Um, that more than being a woman has made me different, I think. Mm. And also it's a it's a strength in a way to like hold up a mirror or just sort of listen to people and not view them as caricatures or, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't mean what they believe is right or wrong. It just... It is what it is. Your culture yeah. raises you, you know, uh. and you're that's that's what it is, you know, and we're yeah. it's easier than ever to ignore everyone else. That is so which true. Which is a problem. That is <laughs> so. so true. I've had you guys here for an hour. I got to let you go. I feel like, am I going to get fired after this? <laughs> I don't think so. You don't? What'd you you want to, you know, Jeff, you don't work in that newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's like, I, I won't fire NPR. you. He's like, oh, NPR, okay, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Last uh, question before we go. Uh, what is the worst habit that you have developed in this job? To cope with this job. Checking my phone during conversations like I'm doing right now. <laughs> Jeff, you have no vices, Jeff. I don't I don't work out anymore because I don't uh, I can't work out in the morning. I just can't make myself do yeah, it and I don't yeah. have time to do it at night. Yeah. So now I just starve. I just fast. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Any no, like th- diet mountain dew addictions or something? I ate out of vending machines a lot. Yeah, the vending, vending machine ma- vending machine life is real. Yeah. It's true. I did go to Soul Cycle this morning. Look at you. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I knew that I was coming in here and I had like, you know, people were like, yes, you can leave, you know, for X <laughs> yeah. amount of time. I'm actually like, you know, I do need to get back you gotta to my go. job. All right. We're going to wrap it up. Um, I got to say, you know, it's like the moments when you can take time to reflect on your industry and your peers in the industry. It's a lot of critique. But talking to both of you, my friends, about uh, the state of the fourth estate. Are you reading from a script me, right I'm now? I'm not reading from a script. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying right. I feel a little hope. Okay. I am I, hopeful and happy and thankful that good eggs like yourself are covering the biggest story of our time and I thank you for this conversation thanks Sam and for your work appreciate appreciate y'all thanks so much to Jeff and Katie Uh, they're both great follows on Twitter I must say their handles are in our episode data if you want to keep up with their work also one more quick note listeners in LA in Orange County in Pasadena in San Diego in Stockton We're having a show in L.A., a live show in L.A. on October 2nd. All of California, Nevada, Arizona, too. Come on out and say hi. There's a link in our episode data today for that show, too. Uh, Also, listeners, we're back with our regular weekly wrap this Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk soon. Listener.